Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome today to our Wednesday message. We're in a series called Pondering Prophecy. This, this prophecy series that we've been doing has been getting a lot of, lot of attention, more likes and more people subscribing to our YouTube videos. And you know, that's not our intention. Our intention is just basically to proclaim uh, the Word of God. And uh, it, it, God put it on my heart to be able to do uh, a series on prophecy and we certainly hope that uh, you're enjoying it, but more importantly that you're, you're growing uh, by it. Uh, prophecy is more than 25% of the Bible, so it's important that, uh, that we teach prophecy. If you don't teach prophecy, you're, you're, missing. you're missing a quarter of the Bible. That's like missing 10, 15 books out of the Bible. Um, on Wednesdays, uh, we do prophecy, but on Sundays, we're doing our, uh, our series through the Acts of the Apostles. So tune in on Sunday as well as Wednesday uh, for our, our messages. Now, for the, for the uh, past few weeks, we've been talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John has shown the judgments of God that are to come upon the, the whole world. And he sees a series of seven seven seals, followed by seven trumpets, followed by seven bowls or, or vials. Now the first four of the seals are idealized um, as the riders of the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They're, it's actually the opening of the first four seals. And uh, each one of these seals has a, uh, has a horse of a, of a different color. The first four seals are, are the horses are white, followed by red, followed by black, and then the last one being pale green. Uh, these past few weeks we've been going through these, these seals. And uh, what we want you to know is that these seals, in fact all of the book of, of Revelation um, after chapter 6, is all future. It was future at the time that the Apostle John wrote it and saw it. It was future for the early church. It's been future for the last 2,000 years. But at some time in the very near future, we're going to see the unveiling of these prophecies, of the opening of the, the six seals. Now, that will not happen. That will not happen until we, the church is what we call translated. This translation is an event spoken of by the Apostle Paul when Christ comes uh, to meet the church in the air. The early church believed that this could happen at any time. Uh, it's actually called, the theological term for it is called the imminent return of Christ. Uh, the scriptures tell us this in uh, chapter, chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Paul writes, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And it continues, it says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus shall we always be with the Lord and again we teach and we believe that this event happens prior to the unveiling of these seals to the unveiling of what begins the, the tribulation now as the dead in Christ rise and are given new bodies we who are alive and are caught up together with them also receive new bodies 
that's where we get the word translated. Now again, we said that this tribulation period that we speak of, speaking of does not happen until this happens, what's called the translation or the rapture of the church. The tribulation period actually begins officially with the arrival of the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 6 and the establishment of what the prophet Daniel spoke of, of the covenant that is made with many that brings the Antichrist to, to prominence, uh, to world leadership. We spoke a few weeks ago in our message of the, the rise of the Antichrist and we explained this, this rise in great detail. It's associated with the first seal of the sixth chapter of the book of Revelation. Now we're in the fourth week and we'll be looking at the fourth seal of Revelation 6 today. So let's review briefly the first three seals, get you, get you caught up. The first seal is open, which is from Revelation chapter 6, 2. And Revelation 6, 2 says, I looked and behold, a, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out to conquer. And he was a conqueror. The first rider on the white horse uh, is on the right horse because the rider is the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is a great deceiver. He's, he's masquerading as a good guy. You know, we know that we see all these westerns, uh, the good guys always are riding white horses, right? And we know that in the book of Revelation, at the end of the book of Revelation, Christ returns and he's pictured on a, on a white horse. So here in the first seal, seven years prior to that event, the Antichrist is revealed and he's sitting on a white horse because he's, he's a deceiver. People will be drawn to him. He'll, he'll be a master politician. Um, he's very charismatic. That's why people like him. But ultimately, he will reveal his colors, his, his, his true character, his hatred for both the Jews as well as the people of, that follow Jesus Christ. Now, the second seal in the sixth chapter of Revelation is shown as a rider on a fiery red horse. This rider was given, it says, the, the authority to take peace from the earth. And the people should kill one another. Uh, the red seal, the red uh, horse in this seal symbolizes war and, and civil unrest. And we're not sure whether it's the Antichrist that is actually uh, conducting the war or, or whether he's a beneficiary of the war, but war breaks out. And it's a, and it's a horrible war. Many, many people die. Uh, you know, and the thing is, is that when there's war and there's violence, what happens? People turn to the government. They're looking for a charismatic leader that has the answers, that can get them out of the, the trouble that they're in. The third seal is interesting because it's represented uniquely by a, not only a rider on a black horse, but he has a pair of scales in his hand. Now, these scales are, are balances. They, they weigh the value of, and the cost of, of food, in particular, wheat, barley, oil, and wine. We said that it's likely what is being represented in this, first, in this, in this third seal is shortages of food, a famine possibly, as well as the shortage of other goods and services. Now these shortages are the result, and the result of, of lawlessness, of wars. And this is what happens when peace is taken from the earth, and we know this historically. Uh, historically, when there's a war, we'll have shortages and famines. Famines and shortages of food, water, medicines, d and disease always follows the aftermath of, of war. The third seal, of course, follows the second seal, which follows the first. These are all progressive revelations or unveilings of the, um, of the, of the horrible things that happen 
during the, the beginning of the tribulation. So let's go ahead and read our scripture for today. We're going to be looking at the fourth seal in the book of Revelation. And we'll see a rider on a green, sometimes de defined or de determined as a pale green horse. The word there, by the way, is the Greek word chlorox. And, and it's, it does have nothing to do with the bleach, but it, it describes an ashen color, a, a color actually of, of death, of what you'd see a, on a corpse. Uh, uh, not, a, not a pretty color at all. In, in our book, in our, in our scripture today, it's revealed just as green. Verse number seven, Then he opened the fourth seal. I heard a voice from the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. The... The opening of these seven seals in the book of Revelation actually follow very closely what, what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 24 of the events that happened just prior to his coming. In, in particular, verse number 7 of 24, of chapter 24 in the book of Matthew says this. It says, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines pestilences and earthquakes in various places. Now these famines, pestilences and earthquakes could be again a result of the warfare or they may be a, a judgment, um, a plague, a happening in connection or in addition to the, the wars and the, and the taking of the peace of the earth. This fourth seal is the only seal that has a name associated with the rider. And don't you like that the name of the rider is, is death? That's right. The name of the rider is, is death. Scholars don't believe this is an actual man or the real name of the man, but it's, it's, it's symbolic. It's telling us something particularly about this, this fourth seal. You see, death is the result of the reign of terror of the Antichrist. This rider is called death because the fourth seal represents the, the carnage the cost of human lives as a result of the, of the first three seals. I think one of the reasons that John hears that there's a name associated with this rider uh, on the pale or the pale green horse is because wars, whether by sword, by guns, uh, by bombs or chemical warfare, always result in this type of, of carnage. Throughout history, there's been horrible evils that have been done on man versus man, uh, horrible evils done by, by dictators, by world leaders that seem hell-bent, and I'm using that word intentionally, hell-bent on bringing destruction often to their, to their own people. Now, the greatest of them happened within the last hundred years, within the last century. For example, there's, there's Chairman Mao. Chairman Mao was the founding father of the People's Republic of China. And he took that office in the, in the early 50s. And in 1958, he announced what was called the Great, Great Leap Forward. And all the people cheered. It was to propel the people of China into the 20th century, from an agrarian and backward culture into a technology-driven culture that could compete on a, on a world basis. Well, what was the result? Well, the result was the greatest famine of all time. 
This famine, along with the political arrests, the persecutions and murders by Chairman Mao, killed over 45 million people in China. That combined with the communist involvement in places like Korea and Vietnam uh, gave Chairman Mao the distinction of being the greatest mass murderer of all times. People estimate, historians estimate that somewhere between 65 and 80 million people uh, died as a direct result of his leadership. Now there's other names too. You've probably heard the names Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler. Again, both of these are 20th century uh, despots. Uh, they were the dictators uh, of, of Russia and Germany respectively. They were contemporaries, meaning that they, they were around and living at the same time. In fact, they fought wars against each other, even though they had never met each other. Combined, in World War II, they brought another 75 million people. Um, another 75 million people died as a result of, of, of their leadership and their wars. World War II was the deadliest military conflict in history. It lasted from 1939 to 1945. Uh, many of you remember it. Um, it involved 30 countries from every part of the globe. Now, the question you may have is, is Pastor, why, why are you giving us all of this history? Well, in, in a, simple, a simple phrase is, you ain't seen nothing yet. Wait until the, what we see in the tribulation, because the carnage is exponentially greater than what we've seen in, in all of the past wars. Now, it, it says in, in the scripture for today that power was given to over a fourth of the earth. And scholars are, are mixed on what that means. Some believe that it means that a quarter of the entire earth dies. A quarter of the earth uh, is dead uh, as a result of, of this fourth seal of the, of the apocalypse. By sword, by hunger, by famine, by disease and, and pestilence. Others understand the words that, that he was given power over a quarter of the earth to mean that this was a, a, a local conflict. Now, a quarter of the earth is, is, is hardly anything but local, but it's, meaning it's not universal. It's not throughout the whole world, meaning that only a quarter of the earth is actually involved in this, in this conflict. And that, and that could be, that would mean it would be, again, about the same scale as, as World War II, possibly a little less. Um, still a, an amazing and a horrible time. Regardless of the number of people, this is why Jesus said, he said, for then there will be great tribulation, such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. So Jesus is giving us a prediction that in the time that precedes his second coming, there'll be this, this tribulation. It'll be a great, horrible time, a great, horrible time for the people on the earth. Now, we've reached that period of history, haven't we? This period of time when we have that kind of capability. We've developed the weapons of warfare that are capable of achieving this type of carnage in a matter of, of weeks, if not days, so quickly that people will not escape. Now, interestingly, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said of this time also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now the Apostle Paul is speaking of exactly the same time. He even uses the words labor pains, labor pains on a pregnant woman, which is what how Jesus described uh, this, this initial onslaught during the tribulation and the time just prior to it. 
the devastation and carnage comes from the first three seals. The Antichrist is seen as a, a savior, a peacemaker, the one that can solve all the problems. Now, regarding the wars that happen at this time, one of the possibilities is also is what's known as the, the War of Gog and Magog. It's described in uh, chapter 38 and 39 of the prophet Ezekiel. It, it's at the, it happens at either the very beginning or just prior to the tribulation. The armies of Russia, Libya, Iran, and Turkey are all destroyed. They surround Israel. It looks like Israel doesn't have any chance, but the Lord delivers Israel, similar to what we saw of Israel's deliverance in, in the Old Testament. It, it's, he delivers it in the Israel in such a miraculous manner that the Lord is magnified in the eyes of the nations, as Israel will know that God is again among his people. You know, interestingly, regarding the Antichrist, there's a prophecy in the Old Testament that this Antichrist will recover from a, a deadly wound, likely an attempt uh, by the Antichrist to masquerade as a, as a Christ who uh, rises from the dead. All of these events of these first seals come together to put the Antichrist in a place where he ultimately assumes world dominion. And he does this with the help of, of Satan himself. All of these horrible judgments, the Antichrist, the wars, the famines, the pestilence, the rise of violence, peace taken from the earth, possibly uh, as many as a quarter of the people dying. And you've got to ask the question, why? That question often comes. People will ask me, why would God allow such a, a great loss of life? Why do these judgments come upon the earth? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. And I'll, and I'll, I'll answer the question this way, tell you a, a little story. 2,500 years ago, 2,500 years ago, Daniel was in Jerusalem when the Babylonians came and they sacked Jerusalem and they scattered the people. They took many of the people from Jerusalem and Judea back to Babylon. And along with that was Daniel and his young three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, Daniel proved himself to be very helpful. He became a prince and an advisor to the king. He was, his specialty was interpreting dreams. You probably remember some of the dreams that the prophet Daniel um, uh, interpreted. Well, Daniel was reading the, the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah, who talked about this period of time, and understood that it, there would be 70 years of captivity for the people of Israel. And the 70 years was just about up. Now this means that Daniel was a relatively old man. If he was 17 years old, a young man when Jerusalem was taken, uh, this is 70 years later, meaning he's, he's in his mid-80s. Uh, but Daniel decides he's going to pray. He's going to believe God for, for an answer. So he's asking the Lord to reveal to him uh, what's, what's in store for, for Israel. The angel Gabriel comes down and, and, and gives him an answer, and it's an amazing answer. In fact, scholars say it's, it's the most amazing prophecy of all, all time, uh, particularly because it was fulfilled in such uh, amazing detail and so literally. And it also speaks of the tribulation, the last seven years for Israel. Daniel was, was reading and he says this, it says, Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon for their nations, the land of the Chaldeans, and their inequity. So Daniel, uh, Daniel had been reading and the angel Gabriel comes and he tells them something. And this is, what, uh, this is what the Gabriel tells Daniel. And I'll kind of paraphrase it. Gabriel said, 70 weeks of seven, 77s are decreed for your people 
That's the people of Israel. And your holy city, and of course that's Jerusalem. Now almost all scholars agree that the 77s means 77 year periods. So 77s is 490 years. The angel Gabriel is telling him that Israel, he's got a map for Israel. He's going to tell Israel what's going to go on for the next 490 years. Gabriel went on to explain that the 490 years, this time clock would begin when there was a proclamation made to restore and build and rebuild Jerusalem. Gabriel also said that the 490 years would actually be in three different groupings. The first grouping would be seven sevens, or, or, or I'm sorry, the first would be one seven, or 49 years. And, and that was done, that was fulfilled, and we read that when King Artaxerxes basically gave the proclamation to restore Jerusalem, and people went back um, in 445 B.C. We read in Nehemiah how the streets of Jerusalem were restored, how the, how the great gates were built, how a wall was erected. And it's interesting, the, the prophet Daniel said that would be, uh, they would rebuild with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And you can read about those troubles in the book of Nehemiah, how it was important for the people that were rebuilding the walls to, to have a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other because of, of the imminent attack. Uh, by the enemies of Israel. Then the angel Gabriel said there would be another 62 sevens or 434 years that would follow until Messiah the Prince. So let me, to read, let me read to you now the actual prophecy. Now that you understand what it's talking about, uh, it'll be easier to understand these words. Kind of a Cliff Notes version. Gabriel says, Now therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, that street shall be built again with the wall even in troublous times. Again, that's Daniel uh, 9.25. Now, doing the math and understanding this takes a little bit, bit of work, but I rely on scholars that have already done it before, and they tell me you've got to convert the Babylonian and the, and the Jewish calendar, which is 360 days, to the Julian calendar, which is what we use, which is 365 days, and take into account some leap years. But ultimately, we, we find out that the Messiah did come. He came just as the prophet Daniel had, had prophesied um, through Gabriel. The Messiah, which is Jesus Christ, actually came. Uh, I'll, I'll let Chuck Missler, who is a, uh, he's the late Chuck Missler, he died just a few years ago. He was a, he was a world, uh, internationally known expositor, one of the, the greatest prophecy teachers um, ever. He died in 2018, but he, Chuck says that if you take the seven sevens plus 62 sevens, you have 69 sevens. And remember, that means that there's one left. 69 instead of 70, one left, and keep that in mind. But if you take the 69 sevens, that's 173,880 days. And then he took the number of days from the time the proclamation was given, and he added up the years and added up the time, and he found out that you would end up with April 6, 32 AD. Well, April 6, 32 AD, many scholars believe, is the actual time that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey on, on uh, Palm Sunday in fulfillment of another prophecy by Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Israel. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
You see, Daniel was told by Gabriel that the Messiah would then be cut off, but not for himself, signifying that just after Jesus rides into Jerusalem on this donkey on Palm Sunday, he's then crucified. And he's not crucified for himself. We know that he, he died for the sin of the world. So again, if you've been following the math, remember I said that there was initially 777s, or 490 years, and what we have so far is 483 years, and then it ends. Meaning there's a seven-year period of time, seven years that are specifically stated, not only in Daniel, but in the book of Revelation. We see seven years stated, plus we see it broken into two. 42 months and 42 months, three and a half years. Time, times, and half a time, 42 months. It's even given as a, as a period of days in the book of Revelation. The, the prophecy couldn't be any less literal. It means specifically seven years of, of tribulation. So the question is, why, and this is what we're telling about Daniel, is, is why is all this happening? Well, we know that this is Israel's 70th week. It was, it was prophesied. There was still one remaining week for Israel, and God's going to give Israel back that, that final week. How, however, we haven't answered the question of, of why. Why does God bring judgment? Why would God allow such evil, such carnage, to be inflicted on the people of the earth? Well, the answer to that question, and in order to answer that question, we've really got to take a look at the, the mission of Jesus. Why did Jesus come, and why did Jesus die? You see, the scriptures tell us that God created the heavens and the earth, and that he planted a garden in Eden and called it perfect. It was, a, it was amazing, but Satan came and he deceived Eve. And Eve and Adam ate of the apple and they fell into sin. And ever since that time, we, we've lived in a fallen world. And we've lived in a world where, where men wreak havoc on other men, when the intentions of man's heart is, is continually evil. But Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He, he died as the savior of mankind. And as a result, we have a, a free gift a free gift to have our, our sins completely blotted out, to be forgiven through a belief in Jesus Christ. His, his death on the cross takes our sin away from us. Well, we become the righteousness of the God, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has already done. So here it is 2,000 years later, and, and many millions, millions and millions, possibly billions of people have received this, this free gift of salvation. But yet, we take a look at the condition of the world and we see the Bible's prophecy about the intentions of man's heart. And we see that it's just like the days of Noah. Uh, there's violence and there's deception and there's, there's evil throughout the world. So this is exactly why God has to, has to bring judgment. You see, God is, is patient. Just as he was patient with Israel even when they fell into sin, God has been very patient with the rest of the people in the world since Jesus actually rose from the dead. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should be lost. But ultimately there is a time of, of judgment. There's a time of, of reconciliation. God will first of all bring all of those who believe in Jesus back to himself. The picture the Bible gives us is a bridegroom coming back for his, his bride. Uh, bringing his bride into his father's house. But then God brings judgment. He not only punishes mankind for their evil ways and their stubborn hearts, 
But anytime there's judgment by God, there's also an opportunity for reconciliation, an opportunity for salvation. We'll read later in the book of Revelation, for example, that God sends out 144,000 evangelists, uh, people to tell the people of the earth that are going through the tribulation uh, that there's an opportunity for them to also be saved. We also read later in the book of Revelation of two witnesses that come on the scene in Jerusalem and they preach the gospel for three and a half years and nothing can stop them. For three and a half years they preach the gospel and everybody in the world knows what the gospel is. There's, there's nobody will that will not hear. In fact, that we also read in the book of Revelation that an angel comes and actually preaches to the world that the salvation message of who Jesus Christ truly is. There's, there's absolutely no reason why anybody should not know. But, but nevertheless, nevertheless, people refuse. Many, many people refuse to, to accept this good news and they, they curse God. Ultimately, Jesus comes back. Jesus comes back to the Mount of Olives. The, the people of Israel who initially embraced the Antichrist finally figure out who he is and God protects them. He, he brings them into safety. But ultimately Israel is there when the Lord returns to the Mount of Olives. And, and the Bible says that they will look on him who they have pierced and mourn. All of Israel understands who Jesus Christ truly is now that he's come back the second time. The Apostle Paul actually says that all of Israel that remain will be, will be saved. You see, God is bringing judgment and pain and suffering at the end of this age in order to end the judgment, the pain, and the suffering that's been a result of living in this, this fallen world. Despite 2,000 years of evangelism, all the preaching of the 144,000, uh, the two angels, all of the warnings, many still refuse to repent. In the book of Revelation, it says in chapter 9, verse 21, and they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. See, people's hearts are so hardened that they become callous. It's almost impossible for them to be able to understand the gospel, to repent of their sins, and, and turn to the Lord. So I can, un I can fully understand why many people that are hearing this message or reading the book of Revelation or reading some of these prophecies of the end times may be frightened. But remember, the Bible says that it is accounted once for a man to die, and then there's the judgment. Uh, when we die, no matter when we die, uh, we're going to be held accountable. It, it doesn't matter at all whether God brings these judgments because ultimately people die. And when they die, they stand before the Lord and they have to give an account for their life. And here's the thing, unless God has forgiven their sins, unless they've, they've understood that Jesus Christ died for their sins, they, they have no remission of sins. Uh, they stand guilty before God. The Bible also says that God does nothing without first informing his people through the prophets. The study, as well as every study that talks about the second coming, um, is an opportunity for people to understand that there will be a time of judgment. And if there's that knot in your stomach, that could very well be the Lord urging you to make a decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. If you've never seriously considered your sinful condition, if you've never embraced this offer of forgiveness, uh, today's the day. Uh, make today the day. Call out to, to Jesus 
and let him forgive the, your sins, your many sins, not only for today, but also for the future. Don't wait until tomorrow. Uh, we're never promised a tomorrow, especially when we read the stories and these, these prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, there will be a day when it becomes too late. The scriptures tell us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. The Bible goes on and says, for it is with the heart that we believe and are justified, and with our mouths that we profess our faith, and we're saved. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this message. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.